It's Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin. Dan, and we are joined by a special guest, David Carter from the Crucible of Fate. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome. So we uh, got in communication about two weeks ago. You hit me up after you saw that I posted uh, something in the Dungeons and Dads group and said, I've got something you might be interested in. Um, sometimes, I'm going to be honest, David, sometimes when people reach out to me and say that, I'm like, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Quite a few actual play podcasts reach out to us and say like, hey, could you want us on the show? And I was worried that uh, the Crucible of Fate was similar to that. But I'm happy that we sat down together to talk about it because while it is an actual play, it is definitely not your run-of-the-mill. And it's uh, something entirely altogether different. I'm excited to talk about it today with you. Yeah, thanks for uh, the opportunity to come on the show to talk about it. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, as you can see from the background, uh, I'm not really messing around. Uh, I renovated the whole yeah. basement down here to turn it into a, a nice D&D gaming room that I've been dreaming about having for pretty much, well, since probably 89, 88, around there when I started playing D&D. And uh, yeah, I really want to push the production values as high as I can with, uh, with the show. And I knew coming out of the gate that there's so many people that are just trying to do a live play D and D game that I had to, to bring something different to the table and crucible of fate certainly is different in that it's a high stakes, competitive, open invitational dungeons and dragons game show. That is, and that's really, one of the things really that cool. really, Sorry, yeah, for sure. And that's one of the things that people, my interest that's okay that piqued my interest um that you said uh, competitive dnd because you know that it's not normally something that you hear and uh but before it didn't work so uh dan how was your geek week uh it's pretty good i haven't been on the podcast for a little while but i i have been caught up on all the episodes i've been watching and um i really enjoyed the um the episode where we brought on the writer um, from, um, I'm going to say it wrong. It's, it's the German name. I forgot the name of it. Vihander. Yes. Uh, his first name is Dan, right? I I'm sorry. I don't have my notes in front of me, but I got halfway through the podcast and I've been thinking about writing my own game engine for a long, long time. I had to press pause on the podcast and I went down and whiteboarded a game engine that I thought would be fun to play that met my design kind of objectives. And I, and I couldn't finish the show until I had kind of the whole nutshell written. And so I've been playing around and play testing and whiteboarding. Um, and that's been probably the one of the most geekiest things I've ever done. And that's happened in the last several weeks. So um, more to come on that. I'll be leveraging the tabletop and beyond folks to help me fine tune it and, I do have um, some stuff I've written to kind of uh, to put an IP on a generic RPG system. So if I wanted to throw something out on on, on drive through RPG, I could. Um, but all this stuff takes work, and you all have ideas, and, and who knows if if it's fun or not. So the trick is, is is to get something that works. The second thing that I did was several weeks ago. Um, my uh, daughter and I. She's homeschooled now. She's uh, in her early teens. 
and we decided to do more things at the public library, and we signed up for a roll and write game night at the uh, Montclair Public Library in Northern Virginia. And we uh, we went and had a really nice time. There was a really great guy and his wife, and they walked us through a game called Cartographers. It was super fun. Sadly, we were the only people that were there, and they were prepared to have a, a group probably, you know, they were probably prepared to have 10 or 20 people. So even afterwards, they gave it, they were going to do a, a raffle, but they gave us a copy of the game. So I even got a free game out of just going to the library and, and I've played it and it's actually a, a fantastic game. It's card based roll and write instead of dice based roll and write. It's, it's kind of like Tetris and building out uh, and um, I don't know how to say it. settlers of Catan. You're trying to get resources and, and planning your civilization. So it's super fun. Um, they're having another one uh, in February. If you're in the Northern Virginia area, uh, February 21st, there's another Roll and Write at the Montclair Library. And I, I told them I'd give them a shout out on the podcast. And I really have to give a shout out for anybody who will run games, either RPGs or, or, or tabletop games at public libraries. I think that's a really awesome public service. And I, I don't think we give folks enough credit. I know if you could walk into any random public library, you'll find a, a, a flyer for a D&D group. And, and that's cool. And, and, and those, those folks are doing great things and exposing people to the hobby and, and engaging young people and new players. And so I, I'd like to give those folks a shout out. I know there's open slots for you Northern Virginia friends of ours who, who I know listen to the podcast and are free on the 21st of February. So that's my geek week. It's been pretty geeky. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like, uh, uh, I, I'm glad that our podcast inspired you to uh, want to write your own, uh, you know, RPG system. Like that's pretty cool. And uh, you know, good job to, to Daniel Fox. Yeah, Daniel Fox. I apologize, Daniel Fox. My over forty brain ejected uh, his name. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and Spyhander. It all just whoop, went out of my brain. But you could tell I'm focused on my own crap. You could tell <laughs> I'm really focused on my own stuff. Obviously. <laughs> It's the ego it doesn't have room for other things. <laughs> awesome. David, how was your geek week? Uh, it was pretty busy. I mean, uh, the crucible keeps me quite busy. We film an episode in two parts. So, um, yeah, last week we finished up episode six, part two. Um, and that's about five to six hours typically on my two out of every three Saturdays I spend um, filming that. Uh, watch some good TV though. I, I've watched all of the episodes that are out now for season two of uh, Legend of Vox Machina and I've been really digging that because mm. I've followed all through um, campaign one of Critical Role. So it's cool to see that uh, animated. Um, been watching The Last of Us. Haven't gotten to this episode three. I've been hearing so much about, but the first two episodes were were pretty rad and pretty close to the video game. I didn't get too far, but uh, it's it's triggering a lot of memories. So that's pretty neat. And then I started watching um, Raised by Wolves again. I, I watched the first few episodes when it came out, and I really dug it. And then I think I got into moving and getting married and having a baby and <laughs> i didn't have time to do any of this so yeah i'm back now watching season one of raised by wolves and 
those necromancers, man, they are terrifying and awesome. It is a trippy, trippy, trippy show. And I had heard that it exists in the Aliens universe. Really? Yeah, that hmm, it's that's... kind of like a far distant prequel to Aliens. Well, that's pretty cool because uh, I just saw an article saying that Blade Runner and Aliens are also linked. So all these worlds are colliding for me. Yeah, I mean, like, these are all, like, Ridley Scott, you know, like, jams, right? So, yeah. there you go. I thought they were linked so, to the uh, In fact, I think Raised by a Wolf. Yeah. Isn't the Wayland Corporation in both of those films? If I'm not mistaken. I, could um, be wrong. I can't remember if it's in Blade Runner. Yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the, the corporation in, in Blade Runner. You could be right. I just, yeah, the old 40-year-old brain thing. <laughs> It feels right. Well, good. This is where we need Jason. Sounds good. <laughs> we should do research. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so according to Tor.com, yes, there is a connection between the Wayland Corporation and Blade Runner's Tyrell Corporation. So mm. there is a connection. There you go. It was close. I was shoe, shoe, yep. uh, horseshoes and hand grenades close. <laughs> That's right. Some exactly. sort of hostile takeover. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and you'll notice that like the androids in Raised by Wolves, like when they get cut, they bleed that milky white like mm. substance, the same stuff that's in um, the all the Aliens movies, right? So, yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, <clears throat> great visually and uh, just the the symbology of them just putting their arms out and starting to, to fly and going into that I don't know if they call it war mode or fight mode or combat mode or something, but that screaming, man, that's like haunting. And even from a far distance, <laughs> yeah. they're just making everyone cover their ears and making people explode. Well, I guess I should say spoiler alert on that. In case people haven't watched it. Right. Yeah, it's a few years it's old fun. now at this point. So <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. <laughs> we're we're green lit to spoil that. Get on board or <laughs> catch up or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, well, that sounds awesome, man. Like, and that's a lot of good solid TV sets. I um, I watched uh, this week's episode of Last of Us. It was uh, it was very good. Um, I have not played the game, and I have been like working through the game as I have been watching the show, and I kind of need to catch up with the game to see like how things played out in episode four. But so far, it's been pretty pretty accurate source material. Um, from what I heard, the season the episode three was like kind of a side tangent like a lot more backstory mm. um for bill's character right that um that you meet in the game and they kind of allude to the backstory in there and i guess the showrunners decided to have a whole episode about backstory right so um that's the one that everybody seems to be raving about and um let's see i finished a book Book by Brandon Sanderson. I finished the uh, Rhythm of War book. That's the one that came out like maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, something like that. Um, and I'll tell you what, like I loved, so I, I love Brandon Sanderson's books. I love his writing style. I love, you know, kind of his hopeless, op uh, um, uh, maybe not hopeless optimism that he has, but he has like just this like optimism about his writings that like things are always going to be fine and good. And as long as you believe like, it's it's a little sometimes it's a little bit Disneylandish, especially if you compare it to like um uh you know like 
the black company <laughs> or or you know some of the other like um what is the um uh the garden the uh gardens of, gardens the, moon, of the moon right yeah malazan empire yeah. that's what i'm reading right now and yeah it's not very optimistic <laughs> that's some pretty heavy material yeah it's yeah. pretty or or like joe abercrombie right like brandon sanderson's definitely kind of the more like plucky like hey like if you just kind of you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps like things are going to work out and even though you're you know experienced trial and this book was really good i just feel like um this is book four of a very heavy um series that he has i think he said he wanted 10 to 12 books in this series and and each book is something like 600 pages or something like that i mean they're like six seven hundred pages they're like huge novels right that take a long time to read and I felt like this one, book four, got a little bit more bound to some of the characters' backstories. And I was just like finding myself slogging through some of the chapters just to be like, okay, let's get to kind of the good stuff. And, and, um, like the ending didn't disappoint. Like he's, uh, he's a very good, uh, writer of like endings of books and things like that. In fact, he was asked to finish The Wheel of Time when Robert Jordan passed away. Um, and so he wrote the last two and a half books of that series to finish it out. And he did a great job doing that. Right. So he, he knows how to do endings really well. Um, so the ending of this book did not disappoint. It was just, there's a big chunk in the middle where I'm like, okay, this is starting to slog a little bit. So it literally took me like a year and a half to finish this book. And I had read several books kind of in between then, including the black company and uh you know some of these other kind of heavier ones and um i'm glad i finished it we'll see kind of how this series goes but um man i struggle sometimes through through some of these long epic books even though they're kind of genre defining you know so yeah yeah. the the malazan one's been tough for me uh i slogged through the first Mm -hmm. half of the first book and it was rough and then um something triggered and it was just awesome from that point on but i just find you really gotta like wade through the heavy material of those to get to the good stuff it's all good but you know what um i I will yeah i will 100 corroborate that that i had to slog through the first book and push myself to finish it but then it seemed like the second and third books like he found his groove or he found his rhythm and then like the story really picked up from there and got really Mm -hmm. interesting so um apparently he wrote that based on his D D group whoa so, okay well a lot of homebrew going yeah. on there that's for sure yeah exactly so like a lot of that was kind of his D D group that he turned into an rpg novel so um i think that's kind of i think that's very interesting um and and maybe that explains why the first book was a bit of a slog sometimes and then maybe he got a better editor or maybe something happened in the second book, right? The found his voice. So, yeah. Well, one thing that really yeah. stuck out and sorry, I know this wasn't supposed to be all about uh, Malazan, <laughs> but uh, something right. that he did that I really loved was um, having like weapons and artifacts that are almost like their own demi planes. And uh, mm. I've incorporated that into my home game, uh, which has been great for a couple of my players who uh really found themselves some interesting items to deal with and uh, i just i thought that was brilliant just having the wielder get pulled into another place and uh interacting Mm -hmm. with the weapon itself it's that's pretty cool yeah yeah um it's been it's been since i've read those but now that i'm finished with 
um, the this uh, Rhythm of War book, I think I'm, I'm going to go back to read some of Joe Abercrombie's books. Because I read some of them when they like first came out. And I was like, oh, man, a couple books aren't coming out for, you know, in a couple of years. And like it's so I hadn't finished the other ones. I kind of need to start again and, and go through them. Right. So um, his books are pretty, pretty meaty, but they're they're like like ripe RPG books, you know. Um, so they're very good. Very good. Um, anyway, but yeah, sounds like we all had some pretty good geek week activities that we were doing. I'm sure we didn't cover half the stuff that we really did, but, um, you know, just the highlights this time. Just the I, highlights. Didn't, I so, didn't go through all uh, my impulse. I didn't go through all my impulse purchases. Mm. Uh, Justin <laughs> told me to start, if I find a good deal to add it to our discord channel and I'm like, yeah, here's a good deal. Mm -hmm. And here's a good deal. And then suddenly I'm clicking, uh, ship it to me right away. <laughs> like, I, I, I had mentioned on That's Discord right. that I had uh, abused and waterboarded a credit card a few too many times. <laughs> but I, I, I won't take everyone through th that pain and agony. They could, they could go to our Discord and, and watch me be irresponsible with money. Single-handedly turning the economy around. It's good. Exactly. <laughs> One discounted <laughs> board game at a time. <laughs> One sixty percent off board game at yeah. a time. So I will give a little bit of a plug for um, our Discord, and the link for uh, anybody who's listening is in the in in the show description of wherever you're listening to the podcast. It's also in the com or in the description section of the YouTube video. So if you just want to open that up, click the link. It'll take you to our Discord server. We have a lot of really great stuff there. We talk about Warcry. We talk about board, about RPGs and video games. And of course, we've got Dan's special bargain buy channel where he'll post uh, amazing deals on some games that uh, he comes across. I think he's just got like an RSS feed set up that just like, you know, sounds like a cash register every time a good deal shows up. And he I'm ends just up such a trash picker when it comes. I'm such a trash picker when it comes to games. It's like, I don't need to buy a good game. I need to buy a cheap game. I need five of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's what dan's walked away with some pretty good games though like he picked up rise of moloch uh, which is the cool minis or not game the simon game and i think like you put that up for a song and a prayer i think right oh yeah yeah I, i'll regale you of my of my penny pitching on another day yeah. but yeah you just have to have your your you know you before you know it you i did better than i would have had i got in on kickstarter so whatever anyway Moving right along. I will. I, I so uh, we lose for us today, um, but I do want to. Um, so I am going to give us a little bit of a news section, uh, but it's a tabletop and beyond specific news section in that we sent out our first Patreon rewards this month. In fact, they all went out on Saturday. So um, as you can see on our show, uh, if you would like to become a Patreon member, check us out at uh, patreon.com slash tabletop and beyond. We have a couple of different uh, tiers of support that, um, that uh, might interest you. And uh, with the mid and high tiers, um, the beyonder and far beyonder tiers that we have, you do get a set of complimentary dice uh, six dice that are tabletop and beyond that um are pretty awesome so we've already had our guys uh display some pictures that they use them in 
a uh, various games that they had throughout the weekend. So it was awesome to see our our uh, Beyonders uh, using those Patreon dice. Uh, you also get access to monthly digital rewards, including a re uh, Warcry uh, branching quest chain. You also get this month's RPG uh, that we had. It's called To Grandmother's House We Go. Jason wrote this. It's uh, kind of a, uh, a, a fun take on Red Riding Hood. And uh, it was originally written for the Shadow of the Demon Lord uh, RPG, but we repurposed it for 5e. And um, we put it up on drive through RPG, but we are also sending it out through our, our Patreon rewards. So you can get it in both places, which is pretty awesome. So uh, check us out at patreon.com slash tabletop and beyond and uh, see if there's a level that would be right for you. We appreciate any support that you could give us because that's what helps fuel the show and gets us great guests on the show like David Carter. So thank you, everybody, for helping us out. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, so let's get to our main topic here. And, and so what we, what we have come to talk about is the crucible of fate. Now, David, as I mentioned in the beginning, <clears throat> you said, Hey, this is, this is kind of an actual play podcast, but it is competitive D and D. And that's really what got my antenna twitching because normally Normally, what you tell your players at the table is, hey, we're all in this together. We're all sitting at the same table. You guys are working towards a common goal, and, and I, as the DM, am merely facilitating this story or this journey down the river that we are floating together, right? Uh, we don't want an adversarial relationship. We don't want to try to kill you. That's not my main goal. If it happens, it happens. Um, and we definitely don't want players conspiring against each other and taking each other out. But David, you yeah. are turning <laughs> this on its head, and I think it can work. So tell us about sure. Crucible of Fate. So everything you just said, and I was paying attention, yeah. all of that is the opposite of what Crucible of Fate is about. Awesome, um, yes. I so as I mentioned, I describe it as high stakes, competitive, open invitational Dungeons and Dragons game show. And I mean, it's high stakes because literally every role counts in the game, and it could definitely be your last. Um, people have to be very careful with the type of characters they make and make sure it matches with the strategy they're going to take during the game. Um, otherwise, you know, you're you're in for an uphill battle. Um, it's competitive because, yeah, every episode we have six people on and only three characters will survive every episode and move on uh, to the next round. Uh, open Invitational because anyone can apply. Uh, I'm not screening anyone out unless uh, they have a really bad internet connection and it's you know too difficult to play with them. But um, I wanted Crucible of Fate to be the everyman's game show, not just, um, you know, voice actors and, and people that are kind of trained in this stuff. I want everybody to be able to come on to a show and then be able to watch it later and, you know, show their family and show their friends and get them to apply as well. So that's kind of like the, the tagline explained. But um, the overall structure of the game is that, um, 
I'm going to have 120 total contestants enter. Round one will be 20 episodes with six contestants in each. And as I mentioned, three of them will die in every episode. So during each episode, these six contestants play three mini games. One of them is called Hunter and Hunted, where at in round one, they'll be level three or four, depending on whether Hunter and Hunted comes first or second. And they'll go into a zone that they have they have no idea what's waiting for them. And so far, it's been things like an adult black dragon, a death knight, um, a tomb king, uh, a lichen lich, uh, all at level three. So it's not meant to be fair at all. Um, in fact, everyone has to do everything they can to simply survive. And I always kind of compare this to that scene in uh, Walking Dead where they're running away from the zombies and one of the guys shoots the other one in the leg. And <laughs> you know, he's the one. that's what you have to do in, in this little date. Give him something to eat. Here's bread. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, yeah, 20 episodes in round one. After that kind of culling is finished, we'll get into round two where there's 60 people who are going to be uh, level six. Um, because, yeah, after like Hunter and Hunted, they would the survivors would go um, back to this Fate's Hand Tavern, which is like the, the, the set of the game show down in the abyss. Um, they have an opportunity then to level up, do things like have a short rest, go into a parlay circle where they can um, invite other contestants into Zoom chat rooms secretly to conspire with one another against the other contestants. And so no one has any idea what's being said behind their back. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> then uh, the second game begins in the episode, which typically is, you know, Hunter and Hunted, like the one I just explained, or Escape the Room, which is something like um, The Cube or Saw or just some horrific room where all of the contestants are in there together and they have uh, a certain amount of time, typically around five rounds, to try to find the exit and get out. Um, quick example in episode three at the beginning of it they were all in this room that was kind of um, hovering and then it started to free fall from 10,000 feet so they had five rounds to find a way to uh, exit this free falling room and anyone left inside was pancaked um, after those two games the last game is always split the party where usually four people remain and that's where it's just a straight PvP to take out one more person for three to survive. And usually by that time, there's like a, a pair or maybe a set of three that have decided that they're going to all turn on one person. And, uh, yeah. and that happens. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, amidst a bed of lies where, you know, you and I are in this together. Don't worry, my friend, I've got your back. And then the game begins and all of a sudden there's a, a knife going through someone's ribs from behind. And, uh, I never know what's going to happen. And that's what's so wonderful for me is just to watch the chaos kind of ensue. And my character is the host. Um, 
So I kind of do the host and then I'm the killer DM because I'm still the dungeon master of the game and I've used the moniker killer DM because I'm killing three PCs every game, which I struggle with. (laughs) Um, You struggle with it. Why? Is it just not the way you've been doing D&D for all these years? Yeah. And I like to think I care for my players. I mean, my home games, I work my ass off to give them a really engaging game and uh, a story that's based on their backstories and I try to weave it together as best I can. And in this, I meet someone before the game, like maybe a week before the game, I get to know them a little bit enough that I like them, you know, and then we get in the crucible and I'm like throwing a hellfire orb from a death knight at them when they're level three. And it just feels wrong and icky, (laughs) (laughs) but it's fun. You've been, uh, you're all caught up on the Hunger Games, I take it. You're all caught up on that, Laura, right? A lot of this feels very similar. Yeah, so Hunger Games was a big one. Uh, Survivor was a big uh, influence. And then Squid Game is what I was watching when um, my wife was pregnant and I was dreaming up this, this thing. And I was trying, as soon as I saw Squid Game, I was like, okay, I've got to find a way to turn this into a D&D show. And that's kind of where the wheels started turning. That's amazing. Yeah. I have a ton of questions for you. Yeah. But keep explaining, because I know you, you've got a lot to cover. So that's kind of like round one. That's the way it goes down. 20 episodes, six people in each, only three walk out. Then we get into round two. There's 60 people left. They're all level six and they do the same thing. So because the creatures are so powerful, I mean, I think the weakest one I've had so far was um, a beholder, CR 13. Um, Those creatures all have their own backstories in my homebrew world, which this is a part of. And so even though the characters kind of get slammed into them randomly in round one, someone's going to fight that same beholder in round two. This time the group will be all level six and level seven. Maybe they'll be successful, probably not. But round three, I expect the groups to start winning these um, hunter and hunted games. And by then everyone will have seen Escape the Room once so they know how the room works, they can plan for it, and hopefully they'll be successful. Because if they manage to kill the creature in Hunter and Hunted or escape the room, then that's the only way to get treasure and, and magic items and things like that. And in this environment, you find a treasure chest. Okay, great. First of all, how are you going to split that treasure? Because these are not your friends. And how are you getting it back to the tavern? Because 10,000 gold is not light. So there's a few things that are normally hand-waved out of a normal D&D game that become yeah. kind of interesting in a competitive environment. And um, yeah, th- so then they level up, then they have magic items and some money that they can spend at the gift shop. Um, the gift shop has everything that's in the player's handbook and the sane magic item prices PDF that ev- everyone knows about. Um Thank you to whoever wrote it. I, I don't know who that was. Maybe you guys do. Uh, but I allow that in uh, in the game. Or if they have no money, they can buy homebrew items um, from the gift shop by rolling on the wheel of consequence. 
And the wheel of consequence, if you're going to get a tier three item from me, let's say, which um, an example would have been any armor, but it's plus two and it has resistance to a damage type. So pretty advantageous in a competitive environment. That would cost you three rolls on the wheel of consequence. And some of the consequences are things like you're poisoned or blinded or deafened. And unless you happen to be in a group with a cleric who really likes you, that can really mess you up. So there's a bit of a risk reward thing going on with the gift shop. Uh, and then, yeah, it's it, the groups just get smaller and smaller until we get down to the final six. Um, and then it's, it's a matter of, the the show was meant to have one champion. And if you watch the episodes, you'll see that the host, whose name is Theramgul, who is a, a demon prince, um, he's the one running the show. And he's looking for the general of his armies to invade the material plane. So he wants it just to come down to one person that's going to lead the armies. Um, but hey, maybe a group of six level 15s might have a different intention and might turn on him. So I have no idea what's going to happen in the show. But um, that's kind of the like the basic framework of it. I can keep going. or no, I, <laughs> I noticed on your website there's a cash reward in real life <laughs> with real money that people can earn that the final champion will earn for, for playing the game. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So I'm putting a thousand bucks up of my own money for the winner or split amongst the winners. Um, interestingly enough, I ran into a bit of a problem with some Facebook groups, not letting me advertise for the show because they think I'm breaking international gambling laws <laughs> And I'm like, well, there's no anti guys, so no one can lose any money. So how yeah. is it gambling? Um, hmm. But yeah. I think that uh, perhaps they also think that D and D is not meant to be competitive, and just don't want me posting in their Facebook. But well, you, you can't you innovate go. without without breaking a, breaking a few conventions here or there. Yeah, I, I I think this is really innovative. Innovative. I'm excited to hear about it. Um, are you still accepting applications? Have you filled out your 120 dance card yet? No, I haven't. So I'm filled up until the end of episode 13, which is uh, up until July. Wow. But um, yeah, I still have about 30 to 40 spots open. And I'm certainly willing to accommodate people's schedules and, and you know move some folks around who are willing. So yeah, by all means, anyone who wants to apply, um, you're welcome. I, 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 oh, sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. I apologize, David. No, go ahead. Um, I have a lot of questions about character creation. You've decided to start at level three mm -hmm. and we've skipped level one and two because obviously in 5e, a character really doesn't start humming until you get to at least level three. Yeah. Is that correct? It just Yeah, exactly. And and I wanted every class to kind of hit that, that path um you know or oath or you know what i mean domain yeah. um, you mid max at level one and then who cares and you've made choices that worked at level one and then nothing fits together at, at later levels maybe or something along those lines yeah and a few more hit points just so people might be able to take a hit or two before they go down yeah 
Um, and it also differentiates all of the, the characters, you know, just so it's not as kind of generic if, if we started at level one. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I've noticed that because you've you, throughout you're, you're leveling up very quickly, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken, by the end of an episode, you've gained three levels. Yeah. Right. And, and how many hours of gameplay is that? Um, two or three? Uh, a full episode is probably around eight hours of gameplay, but we get, oh, we split the episode it. up into two, um, parts yeah. and then we, you know, cut out a lot of the junk, but we don't cut out all the junk. There's a lot of table talk and things like that, that were interesting for one reason or another, but yeah, you're right. People level up extremely quickly. So if you were to win this whole thing, you only need to survive five maybe six episodes and um yeah you could end up at level 15 after playing five times do you do you see certain classes and certain builds working in the competitive format in different ways than they would in a collaborative format so for instance you're forming a group and everybody's like well i want to be the paladin and i want to be the cleric and everybody just kind of finds a niche Right. And you kind of compensate for each other's weaknesses in a way. Oh, who's the healer? Who's the face? Whatever. In this scenario, it's it's different. Correct. Do you find that certain builds um, players feel more safe going into a competitive environment versus one where it would be a higher risk to take a certain player class into into the competitive arena? I. So, I mean, there's some classes I'm seeing a lot, but um, I'm also attracting players that have been playing for 20, 30 years. And also I've had a few first timers. It, like it's an incredible mix of experience levels. And so I think that influences the class choice because they're not all min maxers that are looking for like the most robust build in a mm -hmm. pvp setting some people are just like i really want to be a shatter kai rogue and so that's what i'm going to do it. then i've got other people that have their character planned out in DD beyond from like level 1 to 19 already and they're just you know waiting to win so that they can delete the older version and right and get on with it i'm seeing a lot of paladins um i expected a lot more um moon druids but um i you know i so i play therm the host and i he's a bit of a dick like he he'll say things <laughs> like you know if you start seeing moon druids you should probably gang up on them and take them out now you know mm. or like just trying he's not, to, a, he's not worried about putting his thumb on the scale not at all wow. and he's always saying you know things like it's great that you're working together as a team but you you realize by the end of the night one of you is gonna stab the other <laughs> like you're these are not your friends and it's just so much fun to pick at the players while they're already stressed out they have no idea what's coming they have no idea what the people they're playing against are plotting and doing and then theorem gold just gets to just to grind at them which is fun. <laughs> now I'm a, I'm assuming that and you're here, running something. I, I'm assuming that you're running real oh, tight rules as written. Rules is written very kind of strict by the book D and D, especially if there's money on the line and it's competitive. 
And I'm sure yeah. you have you have players that maybe have house ruled something for a million years and and think that think they know where it is in the in the DM guide, but it, it's actually a house rule. How do you how do you how do you help players? And I know you mentioned you had some newbies, but I'm sure you've got some folks with a lot of miles on the odometer who mm-hmm. who believe they know the rules better than they actually do. How do you help those players through that, especially in a competitive space? So first thing first, it is rules as written wins, um, except if it's a house rule for the show. Because I've had to, I've had to introduce some house rules to kind of make things a bit more interesting. But yeah, Raw always wins, and um, I'll watch the episode afterwards, and I pick out the mistakes. I've got other people reviewing the show to, to, to catch my mistakes. Wow. Um, also during gameplay, I say to everyone, look, I have no ego about this. If you tell me I'm wrong, great. Let's go to the internet. Let's find the the right answer and let's move on. I I would rather have it be right than have me be right. You know, like, I don't care. Um, so every time we move on from someone's turn, it's kind of like, are you good? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Then you're agreeing that your turn is finished and you're happy. Yeah. You know, maybe something will come up. So twice now, I've had to bring someone back because after reviewing the tape, uh, like one time I called uh, a death saving throw. He rolled an 11 and I, for whatever reason, I said it was a fail. I think because I was thinking of a saving throw from the creature they were fighting, which was a 19. And no one at the table caught it. And so I brought him back for the second part of the episode because, you know, it was my fault. Yeah, that's fair. That's cool. Yeah. That's good. And I, I'm really trying to maintain the integrity of the show and also present myself, even though I'm killing PCs, everyone is suffering the same level of complete and utter unfairness together. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. When you talk about, exactly. When you talk about fairness, I think sometimes, you know, DMs and GMs, when we get pushed against the wall and we're, we're kind of trying to get, you know, the, to mix metamor- metaphors, get the train back on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to just have to use fiat and say, Hey, I'm the GM here. This is how the story is going to go. Boom. Fiat. You know, I don't have to show you that page of the book. It's there, but I get yeah. to be the final ar- arbiter. How often as, uh, how often as a producer, director, game show host mm. plus DM have you had to go to the fiat wall and say, because I said so? Um, not as often as you might think, but I'd say probably half a dozen times per episode, something wow. will come up that I just have to make a bit of a call on. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, again, I'm not trying to say I'm an, an expert, but I've been playing D&D for quite a long time. I've only yeah. been playing 5e, well, since about 2014, but over the pandemic, I was playing a lot of it. <laughs> and uh, you got in 2014. You're right on time. I mean, <laughs> we played it in Gen Con. They're like, hey, new edition. And we're like, we'll give it a try. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yep. So, you know, occasionally I've got to make a call and I just explain it as I'm doing it. And as long as I'm getting a lot of this and not a lot of this, then we're, we're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the questions that I have, is um are there classes that you are not allowing like maybe some of the unearthed arcana or some of the 
um, you know, net net classes, you know, meaning that uh, people have found a net that is like kind of stupid broken. Is there anything that you don't allow or that you've kind of tamped down on? So um, for season one, I did restrict the source books that are allowed, and those are listed on the website under rules. Um, so I've stuck to the kind of the, what I call the core books. So, um, you know, Player's Handbook, DMG, um, Tasha's, Xanathar's, um, I think I'm missing one of the major ones. Um, and then also allow races from things like uh, Mordenkainen's monsters and Volos. And um, what I've kind of blocked out is the purely Forgotten Realms stuff, all of the Magic the Gathering source material, and um, I, I no Eberron, no Critical Role. I'm just trying to keep it the generic kind of central stuff, if I can even call it that. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I don't and have a reason why. I just <laughs> well, no, I think I think you got to draw a line. It kind of there's less random stuff. I mean, there's first of all you, by eliminating five or six books. That's five or six books you're not book diving in the middle of of a game, saying, "Well, wait a minute, how does that special combo work?" And you're like, "Oh, lo and behold, there it is." But I have no other reason to pull that book off the shelf except to adjudicate your special combo. Yeah. And I also, I give myself a bit of slack. Like there's no way I can remember every, like 120 contestants, characters and backstories and all their abilities. And for episode one, I had this dry erase board that was like perfectly made with everyone's hit points and armor class. And I was expecting I was going to be filling out their spell slots. And then when the game started, I didn't even look at it once. Like it was just too much going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the audience, I refer to them as the eyes of truth. So everyone is allowed to comment and say, hey, at this point in the game, this wasn't right. This player cheated. Or, you know, not, maybe not cheated is a strong word. They incorrectly used their character. And we're developing um, a system for some punishments. You know, maybe it might get to the extreme where someone is kicked out, but um, it might just be okay. You've, you'll have disadvantage on your next attack or, you know, something like that. And uh, some of those are bookkeeping problems. Like how many times did you use that spell slot? And, and, Oh wait, you know, did you get your, which rest did you get and all that stuff. And as a player, sometimes if you're not used to keeping good book and you guys have had a sloppy home group or whatever, where, ah, oh, yeah, I don't, yeah, long rest, short rest, who cares? But it seems like in this scenario, you know, you're going to, when you're going to use fireball, you know, you're going to use fireball and it's, it's planned and you're not going to, you're not going to, you, you know, everybody will know. And, and, you know, and, and did you get your material components out or did you have mm -hmm. an arcane focus? And I guess all that stuff really has to come into play in, in real ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I used to hand wave in my games and my DMS when I was a player used to do it, you know, we never really dealt with spell components or even like what items were currently in your hand. It was like, Oh, I want to use my longbow now. So on that turn, you just like pull out your longbow and use it. And then the next turn you've got your sword and shield in your hand. So now we have to be very careful. Okay. What do you have in your hands? Are you stowing something? Are you drawing something? Are you getting something out? So yeah, there's a, bit, a lot more bookkeeping, but I really 
I trust my players and I trust the audience because I just can't handle it. You know, like running the show by myself is a lot and uh, there's no way I can run people's characters too. Now, how much interaction with the audience do you, do you typically get? And I'm assuming you've got, it's not a live show because you've, you're doing eight hours and you have to edit it. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. And so you're, you're going to have people leave you feedback post hoc about how that show went down. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of numbers are we talking about? How big of a group is this? So right now on YouTube, I have uh, 947 Woo! subscribers, awesome. which, yeah, I'm really, really happy with that. I mean, I just started in September, so it's been five months. And um, the people that I've attracted seem to be very passionate even though it's competitive they're very friendly group and like our discord server i never expected community to be the thing that would be most valuable out of this to me and it has just been amazing i mean you guys mentioned your discord it's phenomenal just to see people kind of come to your idea and want to be a part of it so um yeah my discord community is always watching every episode we actually like live watch it on tuesday nights together and i try to to attend that every time wow um people we just talk about the rules there i mean there's there's so many things that come up about the rules between each episode that we have like a rules discussion channel on our discord forum and and people will ping me and i'll try to answer as best i can and but i'll say like well what do you guys think i mean what you're a player you're a contestant what what do you think the rule should be um so yeah it's a really interactive environment and then there's just people posting comments on youtube that um so far i haven't had anybody be rude which is so weird for the internet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Quick, knock on wood. We got to knock on something. We don't want to ruin your whole show. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Good for you, man. That's that's really positive. And and you know, I just keep thinking that D and D is a game. It's a role playing game, but it's also a game. And traditionally, kind of prior to D and D, games had winners and losers, right? And yeah. um, real winners, real real losers. And and I think you've kind of brought in that like strand of DNA that maybe got sloughed off. You know when. Gary Gygax went from historical historical simulations to role playing, but uh, I I think it's really fascinating. I, I'm sorry for the audio. I I clicked on your YouTube page and your your video started rolling. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard, heard, heard my mic pick up some audio. I'm like, oh, quick, put press pause. I'll listen to this. I'll watch this later. So. Yeah, I, I just I just subscribed as we were talking. So. Awesome. Yeah. No, I'm I'm in trying to make that final push to a thousand. You know, um, it's that's it's just a, a milestone I, that I had set for hopefully the first year. Um, but if, yeah, if I can get it in six months, then that's awesome. Um, just a couple more things before I forget. So there's so many spells and abilities in D D that are so amazing when you're playing a home game and you're fighting a bunch of monsters or, or npcs or what have you and you're working together as a team but when you see them in a competitive light and you're casting them on other players it's so different like hold person in a competitive environment where like three or four people are just paralyzed that's dark oh yeah or well or darkness you know, oh yeah where, there you go 
Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, if you've got um, devil's sight and you throw up darkness and no one dispels it, I mean, you're just ruining people. And um, there's just so many exciting things that happen in the game that what well, just exciting you know like i had a black dragon and i thought okay the first time i breathe acid on someone that's going to be the end of the game and i roll randomly to determine who i'm going to attack so that there's no favorites um in round one so i roll a die and whatever that comes up with that's the character that's going to get attacked and i happened to land on this guy who had the shield mastery feat and he was in darkness we couldn't see the dragon breathed acid on him, but he made his save. And with Shield Master, you take zero damage. So a level three had an adult black dragon directly hit him while he was in complete darkness. And it's just an epic moment, you know. Wow. He just kind of, you know, ducked behind the shield. And then the dragon's breath didn't um, reset for me. So the fight kind of went on longer. And I was... But ah, oh, what like epic moments every episode because of these these things that happen like fireball and invisibility. Yeah, so many cool abilities. Uh, uh, do, do you ever see players when they start doing that? Do and I haven't watched the show yet, but I'm excited to. So I'll admit that I'm a total noob, and and hopefully this our our show will get you your last. Uh, you know. Uh, 13 subscribers that you need. So come on, Tabletop and Beyond fans. Get on there. Go to well, 52. 52 at this moment. I oh, think. is it 50? Oh, it's 50. <laughs> All right. That's right. It would be 13 to 9. nine uh, we can do it. 9.50. So we can do it. Anyway, nonetheless, um, is, is player versus player aggro a thing that bubbles up? Are people pretty good at biting their tongues and they go into it knowing it's competitive? And they're all grownups about it, or in some cases, do you have people who have a hard time kind of managing their own personal charisma saves to get to get through this? <laughs> hey, look, part of winning this game and surviving it is your own personality as a player. If you come in talking trash and and just saying a bunch of ridiculous things, like you're gonna get ganged up on and killed in the show. And you brought that on yourself by being a jerk. But if you're nice to everyone and you stay in character and you have a really cool character concept, people are drawn to that and then they want to team up with you. And if you're really, I can't say a good role player, but someone who's enthusiastic about the game and their character, it draws people in. And, you know, episode four, I had a guy his whole thing was he came down and was when he did his character introduction, he looked at Theramgul and said, I am here as a representative of the law of material plane and we are charging you with conspiracy to murder and blah, blah, blah. And so he's uh, in the show to, to kill the host, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, nice. Yeah. And then I find when, um, I mean, I want people to stay in character as much as possible and not metagame. And if you're trash talking as your character or conspiring, I mean, you best make sure that you win because if both you and your target survive to the next round, they're going to watch the show afterwards and they're going to know what you did. <laughs> and once people know that you're not reliable or trustworthy, you're making it 
harder for yourself in the later rounds. And I'm already seeing a ton of that. And it's, it's awesome. Because <laughs> it's That's so like classic survivor. When I remember when survivor first came out, we're like, Oh my gosh, did you see what they did? They had an alliance and they didn't have an alliance. So here it is in D and D form. That's pretty great. Yeah. Diplomacy is the other what? game that I Diplomacy, forgot. Yeah. Diplomacy is definitely a big part of, of the game. Yeah. You mean the board game so diplomacy the, or, 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 yeah, okay. Both, but I meant the board game, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> cool, cool. Oh, I'm, we're tracking, we're tracking. Justin's trying to get a word in edgewise. I'm trying yeah. to talk over him as much as he can because he's our host and I'm trying to drag this out. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, one of the questions that I had, and it, it kind of relates to what you're talking about here, is I, can you give us some sense of the statistics and and i know you probably don't have like hard stats right now but like are certain classes doing better right now than others like are clerics like a commodity in the game that everybody's treating well or do they want to like kill them now because they might become too powerful in the game in the future or like what are some trends or some stats that maybe you're seeing from character creations or the way that people are playing or um and, and kind of a second part to that is do you see certain classes that you're seeing right now um, projected to do, and you don't have to tell me which ones, but projected to do well, or that you think are going to like peter out in the next round because you know, the scenarios coming up, they're just not suited to them. Um, do, like, do you see the, those kind of trends as well? Again, you don't need to tell me classes cause I don't want to spoil creation for it in the future, but um, I'm, I'm curious about trends that you're seeing. Um, I mean, there's definitely some classes that are getting played more than others. I can't say whether they're doing better. Um, the luck of the dice and the personalities and the teamwork really does make up for any potential benefits of, of like certain classes. Um, down the road, I mean, obviously, if a wizard gets to level 15, I mean, people are in a world of hurt. Um, like clerics, too. They start banishing people and things like that. I mean, you're just out of the game for one spell, right? I mean, uh, finger of death. <laughs> like, it's Yeah, it's pretty epic. I mean, we just, well, by the time this comes out, the episode will have aired. So, I mean, I gave out a Vorpal sword in the gift shop. So someone's walking around with like a Vorpal, like plus three great sword. And, you know, <laughs> the first time he rolls a 20, like someone's head's coming off. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, just what, that's what the game is. Somebody's got to die. And it could be you. If, if we're doing Highlander and there could be only one, there can be only one, right? Yeah, and I've I've tried to make every single step of the character creation process and gameplay as nerve-wracking and painful as possible because <laughs> you have to decide what class and race you're going to take through this or species, I guess I should say, should say now, um, yeah. that you're going to play throughout the whole thing. Then you need to decide how you're going to interact with other people. Are you going to try to, you know, be straight up and like lawful good and save people? Or are you in it for yourself? Are you going to go to the gift shop and take the risk on the consequences and buy these items that are, they're all relevant to the game and they're all helpful, but you know, maybe you get poisoned or deafened and or blinded. Um, so there's risk and reward every step of the way. Um, and 
one thing that I included in the game, which I can't believe I forgot up until now, is every player gets six fate spheres hmm. that have to last them throughout the entire campaign. These fate spheres can be used at any time. Um, it's not an action, not a bonus action, just any time. They just have to like say the word, I want to use a fate sphere. They can give themselves advantage on a roll. They can use it for a re-roll. They can give another player a re-roll, like forced. They can give another player's roll disadvantage. They can use it to soul bind with another character so that um, you move through the rounds together if you survive. But if oh, you wow. if but if one gets killed, the other one gets two levels of exhaustion. So there's a risk there too. And then um, the other thing they can do is um, you can initiate a social role with them. And what I've done with that is if you want to use deception, persuasion, or intimidation against other contestants, you have to burn a fate sphere. But if you intimidate them, they have to act scared of you. And if mm -hmm. you persuade them, they have to do what you say. So high charisma characters enchantment wizards bards paladins i mean you could make your way through the game by through social abilities wow which i think is really interesting no one's really i don't think we've had a social role get used yet but it's there mm. i think um what oh, is interesting about this is that um it sounds like you know you you said you've got three rounds per episode, right? Which whittles six contestants down to three type of thing. Um, and, you know, I'm assuming this is what you're doing because you, you've so thoroughly prepared through all of this. But I'm assuming that the challenges that they all face aren't weighted towards strength or charisma or, or dexterity or intelligence like it is evenly across the board. So if I really min-maxed out a barbarian, I could be hurting on a challenge that required some dexterity or wisdom or something like that. Right. Um, and so you almost, when you're doing your character creation, don't want those dump stats because that could come back to, that could come back to bite you. Or you could just luck of the draw, not face one of those challenges. Right. I mean, like, yeah. or I guess of what you could. Yep. Totally. And they never know what monster that they're going to fight in Hunter and Hunted. And the escape rooms are very, very different. Um, like the most recent one, they started Escape the Room. Um, the host very sarcastically told them all when they were going through the portal to take a deep breath. And they started the Escape the Room, submerged underwater, manacled to the wall, with creatures coming in to attack them. And all they had to do was get to the other side of the room and get through a portal, but they had five rounds and they start the game drowning and manacled to the wall. So wow. it's intense, right? Cause right off the bat you feel, I mean, I had to make some changes cause you can't drown in D and D in five rounds. So I had a creature um, puncture their lungs. And so every round it would drain a third of their air. And then you know, I had some people cast spells that had verbal components. And so as soon as you do that, you lose all your air. And so, yeah, like <laughs> it's nasty. Like it's, it's stressful and nasty. And yeah, people can't plan for every contingency. But I also give everyone a welcome gift from the hosts. And it was shocking to me how the dice 
rolled in their favor because at the beginning of the episode where I knew it was going to be a water room, one person got a cap of water breathing, two people got potions of water breathing, and one person got Mariner's armor. So, uh, wow. Which made it even more interesting. That poor fifth and sixth guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the intro to that episode, you hear one of them say, um, well, can I just use my movement to pull myself out of the manacle? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But you, your hand will be broken and you can no longer use it if you're going to do it that way. Mm. But it's an option. And right now you have none. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I want, I, I'm so intrigued, David. I'm so intrigued. I kind of want to watch it, kind of want to play it. And kind of want to um, uh, tell the war stories of what horrible things happen and then have other people on the internet watch horrible things happen and go, Oh, you were such an idiot, Dan. Why did you do this? <laughs> you should definitely come on the show. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I, 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 I will apply and, and you, you can decide whether or, or not uh, you, you will green light us based on applications and <laughs> versus, <laughs> versus our, 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 our getting together on the podcast. I, I certainly wouldn't want to elbow anyone out that would be a better fit for the show than me. Understood. But if you love D&D as much as I do, chances are uh, you're probably going to get accepted. Well, cool. Cool. Well, we'll yeah. I, I definitely will, uh, on behalf of Tabletop and Beyond, at least throw my hat in the ring and I will uh, socially put pressure on Justin and, and Jason, who also uh, are the our other co-hosts, to, to do the same. Yeah. Well, you're all welcome. That's for sure. I sure would love to shiv Justin. Yeah, I've got some. <laughs> oh, yes, he would. <laughs> yes, he absolutely at, would. When we do one shots now, I'm just looking for, and I'm GMing, I'm just looking for an opportunity to just kill Justin and get him off the table. We were playing Star Trek Every Klingons. Time. I'm like, okay, you're dead now. You, you, there's the door. <laughs> and he says he loves it. And so. I literally got up and... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you cut out there, buddy. You've got some internet connectivity oh, sorry. issues. You, I, out. you got up and I, you did what? Unfortunately. I got up and walked away as soon as you killed me. That's right. You yeah. got other better things to do than the game with me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I think you know our, our egos are not so fragile. I think we could we could probably take a lick in and, and smile about it and keep going. But oh, I say that now, but as a 40, 40 some odd year man, year old man to, to have a whippersnapper whale whale on me in D and D after playing all these years, I may not, I may not be able to keep my cool. <laughs> hey, like I said, it's been a mix. I mean, I've had a couple of guys that have been playing since the seventies and on the same episode as those have been, playing for under a year or under a year. someone it was their third time playing D&D. Why would you do that to anyone, David? Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the killer DM. <laughs> you know, we want people to stay in the hobby. You know that, right? Maybe. I don't know. No, I've been, uh, they, they all told me that they felt like everyone was very patient with them and that we helped them. And it actually kind of cemented their, their interest in the hobby, even though it was That's a very right. unique environment. And I mean, I, so far on my channel, I've only been putting out episodes of the show, but I, I also wanted to get into things um, like insight checks where I just kind of talk about process. Because mm. for me, I struggled with um, the fear of rejection, right? And 
anyone who's DM'd has thought, well, can I produce this adventure? Can I sell this book? And, uh, you know, when my son was born, I just kind of wanted to have this as like a living example he can watch when he's older to say like, even though I'm an introvert and I've never been on camera before and I don't know what the hell I'm doing, I can't let myself be the one that stops this from happening. Um, at least you got to put it out there. And uh, I know that there's a ton of people that procrastinate on getting an adventure made and submitted to the, you know, the DMs guild or wherever, and just kind of want to give some tips and tricks for stopping the procrastination and getting on with it. You know, that's great. I think that's, and, and that's life skills that you can use in 20 other ways. You can say, Hey, I'm, I'm at a point where I need to do the next thing. I need to get to the next juncture in my life. And I think that's fantastic. I do have some questions about your, your decor. You said this was your, this is your game, your dedicated game space. I see uh, some lovely wainscoting um, coming up from the floor. That that looks like real wood to me, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, yeah. And you have a brick treatment uh, up up on your wall as well. Yeah, it's a granite veneer, so it's an inch and a half thick real granite. There's 5.6 tons of granite in here in my basement. Um, wow. Here I'll, uh, I'll just do a quick pan with the camera. I'm so fascinated by this as a as a want to be part-time builder guy. I, I, I want to know this part too. <laughs> well, I didn't do any of it. I just okay. plan it. And then oh, uh, good. had people that knew what they were doing. <laughs> that helps a lot. Yeah. I, I've never worked with granite. That's awesome. Okay. Here, I'll just do a quick little pan of the, of the room. Hopefully this isn't too choppy for you guys. So no, this is my battle board I made for the show. Okay. Use real minis. Very and good. So I've got, uh, where's my, I was going to ask camera. you about minis. I'm glad you showed us that. That's great. So the camera focuses on the board and then the board like can spin around. Oh, okay. And, and it's on wheels so I can pass it around the table if I have local players. Oh, wow. And then, uh, whoa. Okay. So the Fate's Hand Tavern is the place in the game where it, it kind of takes place. And so yeah. this is going to be the Fate's Hand Tavern. But I don't have the bar in yet, but that's where it'll be back there. And then, yeah, the nice. uh, oh, the bookcase is actually a secret door into the other part of the basement. Oh, whoa, nice. And then uh, that's the door into the other part. My little writing room, which is a bit of a mess right now. And then sure. there's a TV behind me. And, and that's a pretty serious uh, throne that you have uh, procured for your, for your game room. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, look as a forty-five-year-old man. I wanted to treat myself now that I'm in my forever house and um, committing to. No, I just love Dungeons and Dragons. I think about it all the friggin' time. It's like consuming for me, probably to an unhealthy level. Clearly, and uh, <laughs> aside from my family, it's my favorite thing in life. You know, and for me, being a DM, I want it to be how I express myself to people. You know, and um, my players in my homebrew campaign know how much care I put into it. And then hopefully now people can see that I'm trying to bring something innovative and different that they can all share and partake in, you know, and, and, and join the discord server and hang out and, 
no, just, uh, I don't know. Just That's great, man. You're part of it. That's really fantastic. I, I think you're, I, I'm really excited by, by what you shared with us. Thanks for coming on the show and, and giving us a peek into, into what you're doing and, and how you're, you know, evolving the hobby in a, in a new and interesting and, and different way. And I, I just thoroughly applaud you for what you've accomplished so far. I, I, it's, it's really, really remarkable. Well, thanks very much. And I can't express how thankful I am for you bringing me on the show. I really appreciate it. And it's been awesome talking with you guys. You bet. You bet. Yeah, One real quick question. I know I'm taking all of Justin's time. Um, you mentioned locality. You invite contestants locally. Are you allowed to say your locality online or would you prefer not to not to mention that? Well, I'm in Ottawa. Oh, Ottawa. Um, okay. In Canada, yeah. And um most of the people that have come into the basement to play have been friends of mine. Um, I, I really have to get to know people before I invite them yeah. to my home. If, if yeah. randos come into the house, yeah. your wife's like, you've taken this too far. No randos, please. No randos. <laughs> yeah. I don't need the irony. Of, no, I'm not even going to say that. That's a horrible <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love for, um, everyone that's in Ottawa to be able to come here and play locally. Cause it's just a different energy, right? When people are around the table, it's so bizarre to be down here all day by myself, trying to look at a camera and play a game. And then I look at the players here and doing the stream. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's a <laughs> but, different, it's, it's a different, it takes a different headspace to make it, to make it effective. And um, it's, it's more work than just, having six people around a table. I Justin had a question. I spoke, I, I trampled on him earlier. That's okay. I think I'm a little delayed and that's uh, been showing a little bit in the, in the uh, episode. But one of the things that I wanted to um, mention is, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but one of the best ways to get a hold of you and understand more about the show is to go to uh, www.crucibleoffate.com. We just put the uh, little banner here. Um, I'm going to show what the website looks like here. Do you have what it takes to be a DD champion? I take the little banner up so you can see the wind a little bit better. Um, and, uh, so you can see, right. There's a button right there on, uh, like apply to play, um, mm -hmm. video of how to win a thousand dollars crucible of fate um you can get into to the social media and i assume that there's a discord um link from here or do you get that once you've applied to play uh i typically give it to people once they send in their application but um okay. it's also in every video description that we put out on youtube how to join the discord server right um same with like yeah youtube i'm if you type in crucible of fate, I think I'm actually like my YouTube handle is at crucible of fate and um, same with Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's like crucible underscore of fate and same with Twitter. But yeah, you can link to all of that from the website. Yeah. So a lot of times uh, since you have that central location, that's the one easy one-stop shop to find you. I mean, again, YouTube is one of the big ones. So if you look up uh, crucible of fate on YouTube, I know I did, I know Dan just did, and we both subscribed. So you got plus two subscribers from tonight, David. And, awesome. uh, 
<laughs> what that'll do. Um, if yeah, if you look up Crucible of Fate, like it automatically kind of search completed it for me and said Crucible of Fate D and D. You know, Crucible and and I mean, it's easy to click on that and it pulls right up uh, along with a lot of your episodes. So whatever SEO you're doing on YouTube is working. So that's good. Cool. Good, good. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> I had the exact same experience. It auto-completed yeah. for me. Google auto-completed. So that's that's great. Yeah, that's a good sign, I guess. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take yeah, it. Yeah, so we definitely, we want to encourage everybody to go check out David. Uh, David, we're going to invite you to our Discord server as well. So you can make the case to several of our um, very uh involved rpg rpg years we've got a lot of real vets in our server so i can think of a few of our guides dan that would be really interested like casey uh i imagine you know jason yourself myself would be interested i could see jim being into this you know like uh there's there's a couple other guys that we we definitely have in there that uh would be in, very interested in, in doing a competitive D&D because it's different. And what I think is interesting, and I think this is this is why it works, David. This is this is my opinion. After listening to all of you, this is why it works. You have you have encouched the competitive nature within the story. So the mm. story is what gives the fig leaf, the veneer that yes, we are competing. But this is like a contest within the story. And so it's not, uh, it doesn't feel like the real gloves have come off. It's the story gloves have come off. And, you know, your characters and your PCs are able to go in there and still play the role and say, like, you know, the, the guy that said, we're charging you with this. He gets to play that veneer of like, I'm, I'm doing this contest and I'm going to win because this guy needs to come to justice. So you're mm -hmm. giving the players that um, social. Uh, approval of doing a competitive game because that's what the story is dictating. Had you just said we're doing competitive D and D and you're going to fight it out, I don't know that people would be having as much fun or or polite as they would be. Yeah, I think you're right. And several times I've had to kind of have a bit of a prequel to my ads that says look it's competitive but it's not just a battle royale sure that's in there but it's all about the story that's going to be generated within each episode and then as the rounds progress and with all of them like all of the monsters have a backstory and some of them are very tragic and so you might not know how you want to deal with the monsters as you go through and I just think, you know, like Vox Machina is an amazing cartoon based on their live play. But I think when we get to the end of Crucible of Fate and there's six people left alive out of 120, they all have gone through some stuff. And yeah. whatever happens at the end, it's going to be an epic tale that I would really like to have animated and I think it's perfect because each little game is only 30 seconds of game time. So you can just pop that up and it'll just be action, action, action with a, a really neat story built into it. And Theramgul is such a creepy jerk too that he's kind of a nice balance to it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're excited to jump into this big time. I'll speak for Justin. I know, I know Justin well enough to know that we're both excited to check out some of these episodes and Great. Start checking out your application link. 
Good. Yeah. And if you guys have any questions at all, just, you know, send me an email or hit me up on Messenger and I'm happy to answer anything. And yeah, once again, just super appreciative for you guys taking the time to, to have me on the show. Thank you so much for coming on here, David. We really appreciate it. Um, if, again, anybody has questions, we're going to have links down in the YouTube description. You can also check out the links in your podcast description of the episode that will link to crucibleoffate.com. Um, you can also hit up uh, David on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Go check him out there. And uh, come join us in our Discord as well. Well, hopefully you'll be able to connect with him and uh, ask any questions if, uh, if, if you'd like to do that too. But in the meantime, thank you everybody for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you sticking around. And David, once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's a very interesting idea and uh, we wish you the best. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Have a good night, everybody.